0: Praise the Lord. Who's excited about building up the temple of the Lord this morning? (laughs) Praise the Lord. That was fun. I like those Sunday school songs where everybody can get involved. Amen. Praise the Lord. And of course, we do know that at the moment we are actually not able to run our Sunday school program only because out the back currently is just full of construction and stuff that's going on. Amen. And um, as by way of a bit of an update. We're in the middle of our public notification portion of our move. So if you've gone past the new building, you would have seen a sign in the window saying, hey, we want to change what this building has been used for, into a house of God. Amen. So we're getting ready to move, hopefully in the next month and a half or so. And once we move and we get everything fitted out, amen, then um, we will have enough space to do Sunday school classes, discipleship classes, all sorts of stuff. It's going to be great. Amen. Do you love the Lord this morning? Amen. Amen. We're going to continue on this morning with the series that we started last week. We've been talking about who's to blame. And we talked about how the world that we live in kind of encourages us to find somebody to blame. It's got to be somebody's fault that I'm the way I am. Everything that's going on in my life is the result of somebody else. Right, and last week we spoke about how we often try and blame our family. Right, it's our upbringing. My family did this to me. You don't know what my dad was like. You don't know what my grandfather was like. This is the way I was brought up, so that's the way I bring my kids up. And I can't change because it's not my fault. Right? Who's to blame? The family, right? We talked about how last week "Ah, when you try and find someone else to blame, you lose all the power to change. Right? You're giving your, your situation to someone else's fault, therefore you can't do anything about it anymore, right? And yet we continue to find someone to blame. And so today we're going to move on to the next part of who do we blame. And if we don't blame our family, the next group of people we blame is the church. It's the church's fault that I'm like this. It's the church's fault. Now, quick show of hands for those of you who love history. Who has heard of the pig war? The Pig War. The Pig War of 1859, to be precise. Nobody? Okay, well, the Pig War happened on an island called San June Island. It was a unique little island right up the top of the North American continent on the west coast, right? Close to Canada and close to America. And this was back when Canada was actually ruled by the British, okay? And this island was right between the two borders and the two sides. And Britain and America couldn't really decide who owned San June Island, right? Now, the British, well, they had a farm on there. And on this farm, they ran lots of different animals and crops and all sorts of stuff. But they also ran pigs, pigs, okay? One day, some American people moved onto the island as well. And, of course, the British people were not very happy with this. They called them squatters. They called them illegal immigrants. You can't. This is our island. This is not yours. You can't be here. We were here first. All this kind of stuff, right? But the Americans were there. The British were there with their farms. But one day, a pig from the British farm got loose. And everybody knows there's nothing worse than a loose pig. And this pig found his way onto an American farm. And on the American farm, this pig started rooting around and started digging up the American farmer's potatoes. Started eating his potatoes. What did the American farmer do? The American farmer was quite upset about this. So he pulled out his gun and he shot the pig. And of course... The British farmer was very, very upset. You shot my pig. Why did you shoot my pig? Well, he was on my farm. Well, he's allowed to run. This is our island. But he was on my farm. He ate my potatoes, so I shot him. Of course, the American farmer decided that, you know, look, I probably shouldn't have shot the pig, so I'm going to give you $10 as compensation. Now, to put that in a bit of perspective, $10 in 18... Uh, 59 is worth about $280. But the British farmer was very angry that his pig had been shot. And he demanded $100 compensation, about $2,800 compensation. Ten times what the American farmer wanted to offer. And of course the American farmer said, no, your pig shouldn't have wandered onto my field and ate my potatoes. And the British farmer said, you should have kept your potatoes out of my pig. So they got into this big fight. And so the British farmer went back to the British authorities and reported the American farmer. And the American farmer was worried that he was going to get arrested for shooting the pig. So he went back to a general just over the bay in the American army and said, I'm going to get arrested by the British, you've got to help me. So the American general sent 280 men to the island, soldiers, to protect this American farmer who had shot the British pig. Well, when the British heard that the Americans had sent the army to San June Island, well, they turned around and said, right, we're going to send a regiment as well. So they sent 2,800 men, 70 guns, and three warships to San June Island (laughs) over a pig that was shot. (laughs) Well, of course, the Americans responded, they built a fort on San June Island, and they manned that with 14 cannons of their own. And then the British built a fort as well. And eventually, word got back to London, the headquarters of the British Empire. And word got back to Washington, D.C., the capital of America. And the leaders of Washington and London looked at each other and went, Are we seriously about to go to war over a shot pig? And thankfully, once it got to that level, cooler heads prevailed. And they had to end up getting the ruler of Germany, the Kaiser of Germany. keep them, This is just about a pig eating potatoes. They got the Kaiser of Germany, had to sit down with the leaders of Great Britain and the leaders of America and negotiate a settlement over a shot pig. Two of the greatest empires in the world at the time nearly went to war over a shot pig. It was reported in the newspaper that thankfully once cooler heads prevailed, the only casualty in the pig war was the pig. (laughs) But isn't it funny? Isn't it funny how something as small as a killing of a pig almost led to war between two nations? But, People routinely base decisions with detrimental consequences on things that are not nearly as important as what they are about to lose. I'm going to say that again. You ready? People routinely base decisions with detrimental consequences on things that are not nearly as important as what they are about to to lose. Such is the decision that people make when they choose to allow the mistakes and the failures of those that are in church to lead them away from church or to allow bitterness to spring up into their heart or to make excuses for their own bad behavior. And there's lots of reasons. Some people blame the church because their kids aren't in church anymore. Some people blame the moral failure of a church leader as to the reason why they don't go to church anymore. And while every single one of us has a story to tell, we have to recognize that it is impossible to move forward while we continue to hang on to what happened X number of years ago. Well, I don't go to church because eight years ago, somebody said blah, 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 and so I didn't come back to church because they're a bunch of lying hypocrites. Hello? Pig war. <laughs> Here's the thing. We'll get to that scripture in a second, but we lose our ability to take a positive step into our future when we refuse to let go of yesterday. Here's the point. We cannot blame the church for what has happened in our life and at the same time be the church that we are supposed to be. Do you get that? We cannot blame the church for what has happened and still be the church that God wants us to be. Amen? Let's think about Moses. Let's go back to the scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 4. 21 to 22. Listen to this. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swear that I should not go over Jordan and that I should not go in unto that good land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not go over Jordan, but you shall go over and possess that good land. Look at the first sentence there. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me Because of you. This is Moses. This is the great leader. He's turning around. He's saying, Sister Wendy, God is angry with me and it's your fault. That's what he's doing. That's essentially what he's doing. Now think about his life though. Think about his story. Consider him. Arguably, Moses was one of the greatest leaders that humanity had ever known. And his, his whole life is this amazing testimony of God's hand upon his life. Amen. God's hand is leading him and guiding him. And, and he, even right from the very beginning, he's a baby in the basket where God has preserved his life and growing up in, in Pharaoh's household. I mean, one would think that Moses is perfectly positioned to be able to help lead God's people out of bondage. Amen. You would think he's just, he's got it all made. He's in Pharaoh's house. But... At the age of 40 in the life of Moses, what happened? One day, he was out and about doing what he did as a prince of Egypt, and he saw an Egyptian who was beating up one of his Jewish brethren. What did Moses do? Moses stepped in, and he killed the Egyptian. Now, the next day, Moses went out again, and this time there was two Jewish people. Two Jewish men beating each other up, and they turn around when Moses steps in and says, no, "No, no, 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 no! Don't do that! Don't do that! Right? Don't fight each other. You're brothers. Don't do this. Right? What do they do? They turn around and said, "Who made you a judge over us? Are you going to kill one of us, like you killed the Egyptian? See, the first people to get angry with what Moses did to that Egyptian." was not the Egyptians. It was the church. (laughs) Hello? It was the Jewish people who got upset that Moses had taken things into his own hand. It had come from his own people. And perhaps this encounter was the root of Moses' participation in the blame game, where, you know, passing the buck to somebody else, because that's exactly what happened, right? These two men are fighting. These two Jewish men are fighting. Moses says, why are you fighting? And they said, who are you? You, don't, you can't come in here and talk to us. What are they doing? They're saying, it's not our fault we're like this. What are you going to do? Just sort it for us? Woo. See, perhaps this encounter was the root of where Moses began to get involved in this blame game. And we've used this term before, this idea where we've got to try and fight. It's somebody else's fault. It's not my fault. All these horrible things. And it's not my fault. It's someone else's fault. Passing the buck instead of accepting personal responsibility. Think about it. So experiencing that <coughs> rejection from his own people must have really hurt Moses. You know, Because he saw himself as a Jewish man. And he saw himself as being able to make a difference in the lives of people. And yet his own people rejected him. He was the one who stuck his neck out to save that guy yesterday. He was the one who put his life on the line. He was the one who took the gamble in stepping up and stopping that Egyptian. But instead of being thanked for his actions, he was accused, he was rejected, he was misunderstood, his motives were questioned, and many who experienced similar kind of circumstances would do exactly what Moses did. Ran out to the desert. For 40 years. And blame the Israelites who spoke out against him. I am here on the backside of a desert. Out of my nice comfortable palace that I was living in. Because those two Jewish people, my brothers, turned their back on me. And so I had to flee. It's their fault that I am out here in the desert. It's their fault. Fast forward now to the ending part of Moses' leadership after Moses has returned from the desert. He's led, you know, however many million of people out of Egypt. He's had the plagues happen. They've crossed the Red Sea. They've had 40 years of leadership from Moses in the wilderness between Egypt and Canaan. And and the scripture that we picked up here at the beginning, this is right before Israel's entry to the promised land. Why was Moses not allowed into the promised land? Because God said to him, speak to the rock and water will come out. But what was Moses doing? Moses was angry. Moses was feeling frustrated. So he walked up to that rock and he got the staff and crack, he smacked the rock. And water came out because God said it would. right? And the Israelite people were very, very happy that they had water. But God was not happy because it made it look like it was Moses who had bought the water rather than God. Amen. He had disobeyed God. Amen. And in response, God told Moses, Because of your actions in striking the rock and not speaking to it, you will not enter into the promised land. Right? But Moses' response The Lord was angry with me because of you. What's Moses saying? It's your fault that I'm not going into the promised land. If you weren't such a frustrating group of people, I wouldn't have been so angry and then I wouldn't have disobeyed God. It's your fault for making me angry. (laughs) That's what Moses is saying here. Because of what you did to me, God's not letting me go into the promised land. Do you know how long I've put up with you? Do you know how long I've been your leader? You're whining and you're complaining. It's all your fault. This is not fair. (laughs) This is what Moses is doing. It's almost like he's chucking a temper tantrum. It's your fault. It's not fair. He's stamping his little foot in the dust saying, it's your fault that I am not going in there. But it wasn't. Moses was the one who disobeyed. Moses was the one who struck the rock. Amen. Amen. See, Moses placed the blame on the people as the reason that he was not allowed to enter into the promised land. And and here's the thing. This was not the first time that Moses had directly blamed the people. In Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 23 and 26, after recounting the great defeats of the kings that were outside of the land of Canaan, Moses points his finger at the children of Israel for his own sin again. Look at this. Deuteronomy 3, three twenty three and I besought the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness and thy mighty hand, for what God is thee in heaven or in earth that can do according to your works and according to your might? He's worshipping God. God, you are amazing, God you're incredible. There's no God like you in heaven and earth who can do according to you. Please God let me into the promised land. I pray thee, let me go over and see the good land that is beyond Jordan, that goodly mountain and Lebanon. What does God say? But the Lord was angry with me for your sakes. This is what Moses is telling the people. The Lord was angry with me because of you and would not hear me. And the Lord said unto me, let it suffice thee, speak no more unto me, of this matter. in the New King James says, But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said, Enough of that. Speak to me no more of this matter. Right? Moses is blaming the children of Israel. Right? It's your fault that I'm not allowed. But this still wasn't the first time that Moses blamed the people. On multiple occasions, because he was not allowed into the Promised Land, he blamed the people. The first time is found in Deuteronomy 1, verse 37. Long before Moses had sinned, the spies were sent out to spy out the land. And many years later, he wrote concerning those times. And after telling of how God's people listened to the voice of the spies who were negative, you remember the story, right? The 12 spies had gone to the land of Israel. Caleb and Joshua came back and said, let's go, we can do it, we're going to make it. This is going to be easy, God's on our side. But the other 10, the Bible says they brought an evil report. We can't do it. We're like grasshoppers. There's no way we're going to be able to fight these people. Well, Moses is telling the story of this in Deuteronomy chapter 1. And Moses turns around, right, in Deuteronomy chapter 1, and he says, Because you spies came back with such a bad report, everybody got upset. And because everybody was upset, I was frustrated because you were all annoying me. And that's why I sinned. So if those ten spies 30, 40 years ago had decided to do the right thing, we wouldn't be here today and I would be allowed to go into the promised land. It's your fault. It's crazy, huh? See, the good thing about the Bible is the Bible doesn't hide the flaws of their heroes. Right? Moses is undoubtedly a hero of the Bible, but he was flawed. Right? There were things he was doing, right? That were just, you know, not right. Right? Here's the thing. Moses associated his own rejection with God's anger towards the Israelite rebellion and unfaithfulness in not taking the land, even though it had nothing to do with his actions years later when he struck the rock. Amen? So, as we think about the life of Moses, what are some things we should consider doing so we do not do what Moses did? Here's the first one. We need to seek to dig deep and go beyond the feeling layer, right? We all feel things. We feel frustrated. We feel annoyed. You know, this morning I was feeling annoyed. You want to know why I was feeling annoyed this morning? Because I'm driving to church. I've got things to do. There's church to happen. And there's two cars in an 80 zone driving at 65 kilometers an hour, right side by side. And nobody can go past them. I'm like Moses. I'm just going to part this. Thank you. Right? It's like, come on, come on, come on. I get here. What happens? I forgot the charger. (sighs) Jump in my car, feeling more annoyed at myself. Drive back home. Start driving back to church. What happens? I get stuck behind another two cars doing 65 kilometers an hour. Come on, move. Hurry up. Feeling. But we have to learn to dig past the feeling layer, right? We have to learn to dig past the I'm feeling hurt. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling annoyed. I'm feeling angry. Amen. We need to identify those feelings, those feelings of helplessness, anger, resentment, hurt, whatever they are that cause us to withdraw and start to blame other people. And then we need to ask ourselves, what am I thinking? Turn to the person next to you say, what am I thinking? Our thoughts which are a layer below the feeling. Our thoughts can have a major impact on our feelings. Changing our feelings is difficult. If you are hurt, you're hurt. If someone says something that's mean to you, you're going to feel hurt. There's no two ways around that. You can't just turn your feelings off, right? I can't just make those frustrated feelings go away by themselves, amen? But If we change our thinking, which we can do, we can then change our feelings, because changing our thinking is the first step in changing our feelings. And and another thing we can do, and there's certainly nothing wrong with this, (coughs) is to call something as it is, right? If somebody has done something that he or she should not have done, acknowledge it, acknowledge it to yourself. Well, they're driving slow. That's really frustrating. Then you start to think, okay, what can I do about it? Precisely nothing. I cannot change how fast those cars are driving. Amen? I can't force them out of my way. I do not have lights and sirens on my car, so I can do nothing about it right now. So do I really need to feel frustrated over something I can't change, right? You can see how thoughts begin to affect our feelings, but often it's the opposite, right? And this is what was happening with Moses. Our feelings affect our thoughts. Well, those cars are cutting me off. Clearly, they're morons. I'm going to honk them as I go past. I drive past. And I have a sticker that says, Hope Divine Pentecostal Church in the back of my car. Am I really being a good witness? No, of course not. What I am doing is I'm allowing my feelings to dictate my actions and not my thoughts. And not my thoughts, amen? You know, so we need to call something as it is. And then after stating that, the next question we ask is, what can I do about it? What can I do about it? Since it is impossible to change someone else, what are some things we can do about it? Here's a few ideas. We can learn from others' mistakes, right? So we don't repeat them. Let's say I, as I finally get past that car doing 65 kilometers an hour in an 80 zone, and I look at the driver, and he's on his phone while he's driving. And that's why he's not doing the speed limit. He's just ignoring and you know, being quite dangerous. Okay, well, I'm going to learn from that, right? I could be really frustrating to somebody. If I'm doing 65 in an 80 zone while well, I'm looking at my, five, my phone while I'm driving, plus it's dangerous, plus it's illegal. I'm going to learn from that. Okay, I'm going to put my phone away. Right? That's just a simple example, right? But we can learn from the mistakes that people may go, okay, well, there's something not to do, right? There's something not to do, right? The other one we can do is we can establish healthy boundaries. Establish healthy boundaries, Amen? Establish boundaries in life. What are, some, what are some examples of boundaries? Let me give you a really, really good, relevant example for family. Right? Let's say you have some problems getting to church on time. You look at the so I'm not looking at anyone. Let's say you have some problems getting to church on time. Not, look, not looking at anyone. Don't, mate. Don't, not looking at And it's not just a one-off thing. It's consistently. You're like 45 minutes late every Sunday, right? Some boundaries you might want to set so you don't end up getting frustrated is go, okay, kids, here's the boundaries. On Saturday night, we are all going to be in bed at 9.30. On Sunday morning, we are all going to get out of bed at 6 a.m. Boundary, right? And as a family, you work on that boundary, And what happens when that boundary is in place? You get to church, you get to church on time. You're not feeling frustrated with your kids. You're not feeling annoyed. You walk into God's house and everything's great. Why? Because you set a boundary, right? As a family, you've decided this is how we are going to live our lives. Amen? Boundary. That's just an example for you. Amen. Another thing we can do is trust God's sovereignty. If we truly believe... That God sets up kings and takes down kings, and He does. We can trust Him because we know that He works all things for our good. Amen? If we really believe that God is sovereign, right? We can work on ourselves. These are all healthy alternatives to sitting around blaming each other. We can work on ourselves. Okay. I'm going to acknowledge the feeling. I'm feeling really, really frustrated that this has happened today. But what's my response going to be? I'm think about it. What can, what can I realistically change? Okay, I could do that. Yeah, that would work. Right? You begin to engage your mind. The thing, you know, the Bible talks about bringing into captivity every thought, it's about taking control. It talks about girding up the loins of your mind. You know, our, uh, when, when, when our feelings are dominating our thoughts, what happens? Your thoughts go into a million directions, right? But when you make your conscious effort, you go, okay, let me think through this. This is frustrating. That person has annoyed me and I'm feeling annoyed and they shouldn't have. They should know better, but they've done that. Okay. Can I change that person? No. What I can do is start working on myself, right? Start developing healthy thought patterns. Let me, let me give you another example. <coughs> Just something... So this is, this is quite practical, right? But this is something that I've learned in my life, right? And if you can get this, it's going to solve so many problems in your life. You ready? You ready for this? You might want to write this down because this is kind of cool. Always assume the best about somebody. You know who's really good at this? My mum. My mum's really good at this. Right, we'll be driving somewhere. Some car will come screaming past and I'll be like, look at that idiot. What are they doing? Mum will be like, well, maybe he's on his way to see his wife who's just given birth at the hospital. I don't know. She always assumes the best about somebody, right? And so when someone frustrates, you train yourself to think the best about. Can I tell you, most people are not psychopaths, right? Most people don't exist to make you miserable, Most people are just trying to be good people, to live their life, to to be a functioning member of society. When someone annoys you, just assume it's not personal. They don't hate you. They're trying to do better. They're trying to learn how to love and to live and to be a good person, right? And they're going to make mistakes, right? So we work on ourselves. The, The point is, is that instead of blaming others, which renders us helpless, we have to learn to do something constructive. Amen? Now, Here's a fact. You ready? You might not know this, okay? So this might blow your mind. You ready? There. You ready for this? There is no such thing as a perfect church. Wow. Mic drop right there. There is no such thing as a perfect church. You want to know why? Because nobody in the church is perfect, right? None of us are perfect. None of us are perfect, all right? Other people don't always do the right thing, just like you and I don't always do the right thing. So instead of blaming others and instead of blaming the church, we should accept responsibility for our own actions and extend grace to everybody else. You want to know why? Because at the end of the day, you are going to need grace extended to you. You might come in today and you might have a perfect day. You might not upset everybody. Everybody might love you. You're totally awesome. But someone upsets you. And you choose. You know what? I'm going to extend grace to that person. They're just having a bad day. You know what? They're my brother. I'm not going to hold it against them. I'm not going to blame the church. I'm just going to worship God, you know. I'm sure it's just a bad, you know, they stepped on the cat when they got out of bed and, you know, kicked over the glass of water next to it and smashed the glass. You know, whatever. I'm going to think the best about that person. The next week you come back and you're frustrated. You're angry. And you say something stupid to that same brother that you showed grace to. What's that brother going to do? If they're a good Christian, they're going to turn around and go, you know what, last week I said something real stupid. But you know what, my brother didn't react. He didn't. He just extended grace. He just wrote it off. You know what? I'm going to do the same. right? And that's how a church grows together, amen? We, we extend grace to one another. See, we are not called to a ministry of blaming others, amen? And you know, we're not alone in our failures. You know, the Bible is full of people who failed. You know, Abraham lied about his wife. Isaac lied about his wife. Jacob deceived his father, Rahab was a prostitute, Gideon was full of fear, Barak lacked courage, Samson got involved with Delilah, yet despite all of their failures... They are highlighted in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 as people of having faith, right? The lesson is quite simple. God is not limited by our mistakes. He does not focus on them, nor does He overlook them, amen? God looks at who you and I can become, not at who we are. Our imperfections do not cause God to shun us. He does not love us because we are good. Amen. He loves us in our sin. And because of his love, he comes to make us good. You don't get God. My old pastor used to say this. You don't get God to get good. You don't get good so you can get God. You get God so you can become good. God works in your life while you are flawed, while you are broken, while you make mistakes. Amen. And so while God extends grace to us, and we desperately need it, why don't we make an effort to extend grace to others around us? Here's a question. Quick show of hands. Do you think you can earn God's grace? Nobody? Yeah, I agree. You cannot earn God's grace. So here's my question. If we can't earn God's grace, why do we often make our brothers and our sisters pay to earn our grace. Someone says something to us and we hold a grudge against them for three weeks. We don't talk to them at church. We don't give them a handshake. We don't give them a fist bump. We refuse to extend grace. And while we're on the right hand refusing to extend grace, we're wanting to accept the grace of Jesus. Can you see how that doesn't work? It just doesn't work. We are to extend grace. We cannot earn His grace, and we don't deserve it. Likewise, we cannot expect everybody around us to be perfect. We have to deal with mistakes honestly. And dealing with mistakes honestly does not include us blaming others. See, when we actually believe in the sovereignty of God. We we talked a little bit about the sovereignty of God. Let's just duck back there quickly. How, How does knowing in the sovereignty of God, knowing that God is sovereign, do we understand what we mean by God is sovereign? When we say God is sovereign, that means He's the king. Whatever He says goes. It's up to Him. He's the boss, right? And if we truly believe God is sovereign, that helps us from blaming other people because we recognize that God has a purpose in our life. If we truly believe that God is the king, And God holds the world in His hand. And He holds time in His hand. and He knows the future, the beginning from the end. The Alpha, the Omega, so on so forth. The first, the last. If we truly believe that, then we have to believe that God already knew we were going to get offended when we came to church. And if God already knew it, we can trust that He has a reason and a purpose and a plan for it. Amen? Amen. So we can be accusers if we want to be. But, If you want to be an accuser, we're acting just like Satan. He's an accuser as well. The Bible calls him the accuser of the brethren. Or we can help those who make mistakes to connect with God. It is in this way we can participate in the ministry of reconciliation, and that is the ministry that we are called to fulfill, not the ministry of blaming others or accusing others. Or condemning others. You know, here's the truth. Our world needs to hear the message of hope that we have. Amen. This world needs to know that just because they've failed doesn't mean they can't get up. Just because they've lost out doesn't mean they can't win again. Amen. A biblical perspective is that failures are never fatal. Right. They will never kill you. Right. Mistakes will not take you out of God's presence unless you choose to amen now it's not that God overlooks our failures our failures will often have consequences think about Samson sure he's in Hebrews chapter 11 but he lost his eyes there was consequences but just because he made a mistake and fell and lost his eyes and there was consequences did not keep him out of Hebrews chapter 11 the book of faith amen a mistake does not have to be the end My friends, we have to be careful with playing the blame game, right? The blame game says that you are unacceptable because you failed. This statement implies that the one who is placing the blame is not at fault and also implies that the person who is making the blame statement does not make mistakes. The reality is is that everybody at some point in their life fails, We fail each other. We fail God. It's going to happen. We're human. But we cannot blame one another. Amen? Here's another interesting point for you. You know, when when humanity fell in the garden, and we spoke about Adam and Eve, and the very first thing they did after the fall was what? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the snake. Adam also blamed God for giving him Eve. You know, it's your fault. God, you gave me Eve. If you hadn't given me Eve, this wouldn't have happened. I'd still be here. Right? Right? Right, but but but, you know, when when God created humanity, right, the Bible says that he gave humanity dominion. Which means humans have the power. Wait for that phone. It's okay, I'm just getting distracted. (laughs) (laughs) Praise the Lord. Where was I? When God created humanity, He gave humans dominion, which means humans have the power to prevail or reign over. Amen. God's power, God's plan, sorry, for humans was to have the power, the freedom, the creativity to extend God's rule. Right? Don't miss the contrast here. God wanted to give us dominion, but instead... We started blaming each other. We gave away the power to others' people. It's not my fault. I have no power anymore. Despite the fact God gave me dominion, despite the fact God gave me free will, this is not my fault. I can't control it. I'm just the way I am because of my family. I'm just the way I am because of my church. Amen? We give up our ability for power and we embrace powerlessness Right? That's what happens when we blame others. That's what happens when we blame the church. When we blame the church, we lose our God-given ability to do something about the problem. Amen? The fact is, is that everybody has fallen. And everybody needs a God who extends grace. Think about these failures we've been talking about in the Bible. Think about their reactions. What did Adam do? Adam tried to cover up. Elijah failed and got depressed. Peter wept. Judas went and hung himself. But God clothed Adam. He fed Elijah. He restored Peter. He called Judas his friend, even though he knew what Judas was going to do. What do you do this morning when people in the church mess up? Do you get angry? Do you blame them? Do you withdraw yourself? Do you say, I'm just going to give up? Do you use the mistakes of others as an excuse for your own bad behavior? Or can we allow God to work through us to extend grace to people who are in need, understanding that one day we might need grace ourselves? Amen? This might be a good point to just quickly chuck this in here. When you come to church, please put your mobiles on silent. Is that okay? Thank you. Praise the Lord. I want to finish up with a story this morning. In May 1996, an author by the name of John Krakauer tried to climb Mount Everest. Who's heard of Mount Everest? Right, It's the tallest mountain in the world. And he got together, this author got together with a group of pain climbers. And as they climbed up the side of the mountain, they encountered obstacles like blizzards, 100 kilometers an hour wind, high altitude sickness. And as these things began to happen, the group began to fall apart. Some of the more headstrong climbers decided to try to get to the summit themselves and they pushed out by themselves. Others got stuck on the mountain. Others turned around and went home, disgusted that the team was falling apart. Team discipline was abandoned. When they started, they all had the same goal, but the loss of discipline and sense of accountability for each other in an extremely unforgiving environment failed. And it turned out to be lethal. Out of that group of people, eight people died because they didn't work together. Five years later, another group set out to climb Mount Everest. And this group had two goals. One was to get to the summit. The other goal was to help a climber by the name of Eric Weemeyer reach the summit. Now, Eric was blind. Can you imagine climbing Mount Everest, being unable to see? The team carefully planned the route, just as Eye's group had done. A big difference, however, was that at the end of each day, Wehmeyer's group huddled together in what they called the tent meeting and they talked over what they had accomplished that day, what they had learned that day, and it helped them plan and make adjustments for the next day. Climbers who were faster went a little bit ahead and cleared the path and fixed the ropes and then worked their way back to the main group You know, Eric said that our team stuck together. They took care of each other, and it gave me just enough courage to finish. At one critical point, it took 13 hours for their blind leader to cross the aluminum extension ladders that spanned the bottomless crevices. I just said aluminum is an American, didn't I? Aluminium. There we go. We're in Australia. (laughs) Right? It took them 13 hours to cross the extension ladders across the... How do you say this? The Kumba Ice Falls. I actually looked up what the Kumba Ice Falls were. Right? They climb it in the wee hours of the morning at like 4 o'clock in the morning while the ground is frozen because as the sun comes up, the ice begins to melt. And suddenly, without any warning, it'll just split open. And you can fall. If you're not ready, you fall. All the way down. It'll just open all of a sudden. Right? It took them 13 hours. They crossed it in the middle of the day. With extreme danger. The team knew that on the summit day, they would have to get up there in two hours. In nightly tent meetings, they shared the lessons learned and they committed to the next day's strategy. It took days and days of practice and night after night of meetings. But the result, on the day that they made it to the summit, they passed teams that didn't have a blind person on their team. They also set another record. Not only were they the first team to ever have a blind person on the summit of Mount Everest, but they were also set a record for the most number of people in a team to get to the summit on one day. Eighteen people got to the top of Mount Everest. You know, my friends, amazing things can happen when we learn to stop blaming one another and instead support one another rather than blaming Let's extend grace to one another. Let's support one another. Let's, let's be a church that loves people. Let's be a church that helps people and supports people. You know, and, and if we can do that, we will become the church that God actually wants us to be. Praise the Lord. Why don't we all stand this morning? i gone a little bit longer than I normally go this morning. Let's just bow our heads and begin to pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we can be here, Jesus. Lord, help us to extend grace, Lord, when mistakes happen, Lord God, when things go wrong, Lord Jesus. Help us, Lord, I pray, to just extend grace. People are going to fail, Lord. We're going to fail. I'm going to make mistakes. Every single one of us, Lord, there is not one that is perfect, your Word says. You are only the ever-perfect one, Lord Jesus. But God, help us to extend grace, to support one another, to care for one another, to love one another, Lord God, to lift one another up and not tear each other down, Lord God. Lord, when one of us makes mistakes, help us to gather around and support and care and love and cherish, Lord God. Help us, Lord, to be the church that you would want us to be, Lord. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for this day in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you. We're going to start church in about five minutes or so. So don't go too far. You need to use the bathroom. Go use the bathroom. Amen. Praise the Lord. God bless you.